to adapt to. Very fortunately, we've got strong support from from our students, and that we have a good business plan and a good uh, understanding of how to how to teach using drills and and uh, how to make everything work. Even though we have this social distancing going on, uh, it's still going at as good as it possibly could. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that, it's it's such a it's such a concerning situation. But however, it's beautiful how so many people uh, around the world, you know, they're making the best of the situation, and a lot of gyms and martial arts people, you know, they're they're using technology to really keep things going, which is fantastic, really. Um, it's 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 a difficult situation, but I think that there's some positives that have come from this as well. What do you feel? Are, do you feel that like there's any positives that have came from the situation? Are you finding yourself, obviously, you're spending a lot more time with family and stuff like that, and uh, you know, just kind of you know thinking and spending time with your own thoughts. You know, what do you think in your pers- in your perspective? Uh, have you gained many positives from the situation? Absolutely, yes. There's uh, there's a lot of good stuff to take from this number one right off the bat just to clarify this we are working overtime we're working more than than ever right now because of the fact that not only are we teaching the regular classes that we would normally be teaching uh at the academy uh, streamed but we're programming special workouts for people in between classes uh programming extra custom workouts for people recording an entirely new video library of techniques and drills and uh it's it's kept us super busy and it's great it's just helped us to refine uh teaching uh and for me it's it's awesome because it it creates a challenge uh that uh, how do you teach when you can't be there to touch somebody how can you teach when uh when that has to be the social distancing and it has to be online you know and i was fortunate enough we have two academies so one of our academies we stream to on a regular basis and we've been doing this for a year and a half now so it's something that uh was a little bit easier for us to adapt to because the the familiarity with, we have with it but it's man there's a ton of good stuff to take away from this and we're definitely we're going to come out of this stronger than ever absolutely yeah it's it's a beautiful thing and i think it's it's really bringing people together and it's making you know it's making everybody more concerned for the vulnerable in society which is it's a really good thing you know uh here in the uk uh we're seeing a lot of homeless people they're they're given assistance when normally you know they wouldn't they would be on the streets kind of thing so uh, the government's really done a lot here in the uk uh to to help the vulnerable which in my opinion no it's beautiful yeah, it's excellent. I've heard nothing but good things about the UK health system and government there, how they've definitely done an outstanding job in, uh, in coming together and doing everything that needs to be done uh, in prevention and in healing and getting through this pandemic of the COVID-19. Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm glad to hear that firsthand from you. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a negative topic, obviously, but it's it's very relevant to our current situation. So that's why we thought it's always best to start off with that. So moving on from that, Dennis, just to give the listeners a little bit of an idea of your background, because obviously you're a very interesting guy and you've achieved so much within the martial arts. Uh, you're a pioneer who's been involved with the sport for a very, very long time. 
uh, and obviously you've competed in, in mixed martial arts way back, you know, before it was cool. Uh, you've inspired so many people through uh, Connection Rio and through your academies and through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you've inspired so many people. Uh, so I'd just, I'd just like the listeners to get a little bit of background information about where it all began for yourself. Where did the journey begin for Dennis Ash? How did the events lead you to go to Brazil and, and do what you've done there? All the achievements that you had there and then from there, uh, moving on to America and with your academies and stuff. Well, it's a, it's a long story. It took place over throughout my life. I started training martial arts at seven years old wow. here in my hometown of Bend, Oregon, in uh, Kempo Karate under uh, Jim Mitchell and Margaret Colfer. And eventually moved on to Don Smith. And from there, I was always looking for higher learning, for, for getting more uh, training and experience in the martial arts. And I ended up training in several different styles of, of karate and, and uh, in 1990 early 90s when the uh, first UFC came out and I watched a VHS tape of that and I looked at my karate instructor at the time and said what do I do if somebody takes me down I really I want to learn that jujitsu stuff that uh, that looks awesome you know because I was so surprised to see uh, Hoist kicking butt out there and doing so awesome and he said, uh, yeah, just, uh, you got to get really good at your sidekicks. <laughs> I didn't believe him. So I, I went out in search of, of jiu-jitsu. And, and uh, at the time, my home state, there were no black belts. So training was was very sparse. And I learned a few moves. And, and it wasn't quite enough. you know. So I kept in search of, of uh, a place to train. And ended up eventually... Uh, going down to Southern California and training in progressive fighting systems where I was introduced to uh, Jean-Jacques Machado and uh, wow. coming back up to Oregon, training for a while here. And then, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. My first time on a, on a jiu-jitsu mat in a, in a kimono was uh, was with Jean-Jacques. And uh, however insignificant it was for him, it was a big thing for me. <laughs> and I eventually ended up... Uh, back in Oregon for a while looking for training and and uh, at in late 90s I had I had a, a little little academy of my own I was teaching uh, Thai boxing teaching uh, Kali teaching what little I knew of jiu-jitsu and I, did, I ended up starting competing in amateur Thai boxing through uh, the first Muay Thai Academy in, in the northern United States, which was in MTA USA in North Hollywood. I would fly down there and hang out and train and then uh, fight and then come back up and teach. And uh, from there, I got into amateur MMA or pancreation and uh, eventually uh, turned pro and and I felt like a like I was gonna I was becoming like a big fish in a little pond, and I had a I had a good fight with uh, where I actually lost the decision as an amateur to Benji Raddick, and I wow. I thought you know what I need to um, I need to further my training I need to I need a a, uh, a a better source you know I need to I need to find the find the right source to train with, and I ended up putting everything. Before, that I needed, which was a couple of days of clothes and my, my training stuff and a backpack and hitchhiking down to Southern California where I lived in MTA, uh, on the, slept in the ring and, and on the floor there 
at uh, MTA USA and trained by Thai boxing there. And at this time, I was introduced to John Machado, who really took me under his wing and broke down my jiu-jitsu completely and built it back up. And uh, he got me on track and focused on strictly training jiu-jitsu or competing in jiu-jitsu. I'm sorry, not just training, because he, he was one of the few people that really encouraged me to uh, train other martial arts. He said, don't stop training your Thai boxing. Don't stop training your Kali. He said, that's all, every, everything that you're doing right now is important. It's important that you don't lose focus or, or uh, lose touch with that. He said, just focus on your jiu-jitsu competitions now. And he never was one of the people that, like, said, well, you have to do this, you have to do that. But he was very encouraging and uh, uh, got me to the point where I was winning and winning and winning the competitions down there. And uh, it, it, after winning the U.S. Nationals, won the Gracie Open. The Gracie Open is what got me to Brazil by winning the passage down there. And, and uh, from there, I, I ended up moving to Brazil after spending a week at Elio Gracie's farm up in, uh, wow. up in the interior of Rio State and uh, yeah I ended up moving there uh, and lived there for a couple of years came back to the States for about a year and then uh, lived there for another 10 years straight and then uh, came back to the United States to open up my academy in 2016 and uh been here since and really loving life enjoying being back in the usa and uh, it's a huge opportunity for me because the place that i'm teaching right now is the same place where i very first started training martial arts in 1984 at seven years old uh in my hometown so it really i now that's that's my academy and, and that's my you know the flagship academy for connection real here in the pacific northwest and it's a uh yeah it's a it's a huge thing for me it's very important it means a lot personally well your story that it's such a fascinating story because you you've came such a long way and to be honest like you're you're actually more vastly experienced than a lot of people today you know who are involved with the sport so it's it's such a such an interesting story so yeah the it's the the people that you've came across in your journey as well you know all you, you big names you know, really big names, so it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to drag out my story. I could have gone on talking for two hours about that. All the people that I appreciate have helped me along the way. And I mean, that's without even mentioning that all the time I spent training with the King of the Half Guard, Gordo, yeah. uh, with Master Silvio Baring helping me down there, with so many people that, that you know, just the list goes on and on and on. All the people that have helped and, with my jiu-jitsu and that have helped with uh, uh, me to grow as a person throughout this whole journey has been you know I'm, I'm very thankful to them all you know friends students training partners and professors and masters that have uh, shown me the way yeah and, and in return like you've given so much to so many people you've inspired so many people for those like the listeners that don't know or maybe they've just gotten into martial arts and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu recently they won't really be aware of Connection Real but obviously I can speak from my personal experience you know that was my first real exposure to pure Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and it's just see the setup that you had out there it was it was so perfect because you'd walk into the Gordo Academy and you'd just be surrounded by legends you'd have all these world-class guys just walking in and out you've got your Hanato Babalu Sobaros you've got your you know Hodger Gracie's just popping in you've got Henzo Gracie just popping in to have a chat with Gordo it was 
for someone like me, it was absolutely crazy. It was mind-boggling. And like, see the drills and stuff that you used to teach in your classes. I can honestly say I still use all of those drills today. I teach those drills to my students. And it just goes to show how many other people you would have influenced in that way because the amount of people that were coming in and out the Connection Rio house. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about how, how Connection Rio, how it started? Because it was, very, it was a very fantastic thing for so many people. It changed so many people's lives, whether they like to admit it or not. You know, it's there's a, it, it changed a lot of people's lives. It really, it gave people that pure jujitsu experience, you know, and I think it's lacking today. I think jujitsu's kind of what, been watered down a little bit from that time. Uh, in a sense it has, but first, hey, thank you very much for passing along those drills. I appreciate you doing that. That's helping jujitsu to grow and that's helping to uh, spread some of the knowledge that was given to me or passed on to me. So I, I'm very glad to hear it puts a smile on my face hearing that you are teaching those drills and, and are active with that with your students. So that's an awesome thing. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Dennis, but, because, uh, you know, without your investment and your sacrifice, you know, that would never have been possible. Uh, because we were stuck in Scotland with nobody, you know, we had no, we had no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, we had very little of anything, it was just mainly Thai boxing, you know, and, and your traditional boxing, so that, that was all thanks to you. you, you should be given a lot of credit for that. Well, I really appreciate that, thank you, sir. Uh, Connection Rio, as it, how it started, I'd originally, in the first six months that I was in Rio, which was uh, in 2003, um, I was bunking with uh, or a roommate in the house of uh, of uh, Scott Nelson okay on the mat house and uh, as I stayed there longer he would leave and go back to the states to take care of business and such and leave me in charge of that and uh, he and and one of the other owners of the house, uh, Danny, Danny Do Nothing, his nickname, they say, hey, you know, you should really have a house or you should really do something like this. And I wanted to develop it. I wanted to turn it into a whole other level of, of uh, hospitality for people that were coming from different countries to show them what was what was in Rio and, and uh, make it a, a, just an awesome experience to share a little bit of what I was getting to see firsthand. And I started out with a, a house down there. I had it for a little while. It was before it was named Connection Rio. Before there was any any uh, it, before it had the kind of traffic, the kind of the amount of people that were coming through it. And uh, it grew from there. I uh, I ended up coming back to the states for a little while. But I always had this dream in my mind. I always had this this idea of of Connection Rio. And when I had got back down there in 2006, uh, I made it happen. Uh, first, I started. I started making deals with local Brazilians where I would house people in their houses. And this is, you gotta remember, this is before there was uh, any online uh, services, so to speak, uh, like, uh, it, so for getting people accommodations, I can't think of the name of it right now, I'm totally dropped blank. Yeah, it's like booking, uh, like booking.com and different stuff like that, like yeah, Airbnb, none of this stuff existed, did it? Airbnb, that's what I was thinking of, Airbnb, that, that didn't exist yet, so it was uh, it was much harder for people to, to get a good deal and, and find the right kind of place, you know, you could find a place, but it wasn't the same, you know, there's yeah. overpriced hotels, that were, they were really gouging you for money, and there was, uh, you know, and, and didn't really give you that kind of experience, so when I got back down there, I made some deals with, with locals, they were not too far away from uh, Cordo's 
Academy and uh, eventually got set up to the point where I could open up my own place and uh, set up the original Connection Rio uh, right underneath Perdagavia and uh, that it just grew and grew and grew and exploded. We had thousands of people literally come through that that Connection Rio and uh, I've had the opportunity to meet, train with, and teach people from all over the world, yourself included. And uh, it it was a, just an amazing experience for me. I was very blessed, very thankful to be there and uh, just at the right place and the right time with the right idea. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, it was an, an awesome thing. It was a very special, it was a very special uh, atmosphere and energy that was there at that time. I just remember that so It's very precious memories for me because it was such an, an influential time, you know, for me, because it completely changed my mindset. And uh, it, it was a very special energy, like the people that were coming in to the Connection Rear House as well. We were all like-minded people. We all really wanted to train. We wanted to get better. And, you know, obviously we had you as our mentor. You were like, the, you know, our, our splinter. And you were, you were guiding us through <laughs> through the mysterious uh, Rio de Janeiro. Because at that time, uh, Rio de Janeiro was, it was kind of mysterious. It wasn't this holiday destination that everybody went to you know it was kind of a it was a mysterious place so for a lot of us that were that originally uh, i wasn't the i wasn't amongst the the original original people that came over but i feel I, I think i was quite uh like i was one of the earlier ones you know and i just remember yes. i just remember it kind of being like a, a martial arts adventure journey kind of thing because not at that time many people weren't they weren't really sacrificing like that. They weren't really traveling across the world to learn martial arts. So for us, it was it was so cool. I remember a lot of us used to say, oh, this is like the ultimate fighter house and stuff like that. It was so cool. It's such beautiful memories. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And then obviously leading on from that, through obviously through yourself, uh, training with Gordo and, and, and training in there with such high level guys, um, you know, uh, I ended up meeting uh, Master Silvio Benning and I ended up getting invited to come to, uh, it was, it's X-Gym. I think it was actually yourself. Yes. I think you actually recommended it to me. You told me to go there. So you, you told me that yeah. they, were, they would look after me. So I went there and it just, the doors just kept opening and opening and it was all because of Connection Rio. You know, it was all because of Connection Rio. Um, so we're obviously we're very very thankful uh, to you, and uh, you know it's we're, we're forever grateful, you know, because you changed our lives really. You know, you absolutely changed our lives. Well, uh, it's awesome to awesome to hear that. It is. It really is. And uh, what I say is, you know, if you ever see Jorge Gracie, if you see Johnny Machado, if you you know if you see Gordo, the next time you see him, you got to thank him or thank those people for helping me along my journey because that's what allowed me to be able to provide connection Rio and provide the what I did to other people and what I continue to do it's uh, you know it's because of those people that helped me so I'm passing it along yeah that's fantastic so Dennis just moving on from the connection Rio so obviously now you're now you're based in the United States and you've got your you've got your own academy. Everything's running very smoothly. It's a beautiful academy. You've got a lot of students. So how did that come about? And uh, what what's your what's your main goal behind your new academy? Are you trying to produce champions in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or mixed martial arts? Or are you are you just is this you just running an academy for people to train kind of thing and uh, or whatever? You know, just give us a little bit of a, of an idea of what you're doing now. 
five. It sounds kind of cliche. I want to build champions in life. I want to make people that are good citizens, people that are are good all around, not just competitors. We do have some good competitors up and coming. Uh, but I'm just as happy to teach people who are in it to experience the martial art, to learn self-defense, or to uh, to do it as a hobby. And I love sharing jujitsu. So it, every each and every person, uh, teaching each and every, every person is a lesson in itself to me. And it's, you know, to answer your question directly, it's I teach because I want to share what I've learned throughout my journey with other people. And whether they want to be a world champion, whether they want to be a... Uh, you know, local competitor, or whether they just want to learn the martial art itself, I'm glad to share what I've learned with them and help them better their own lives. Yeah, absolutely. You, you could, because you're the reason why I asked that uh, about like training champions and stuff like that is because obviously you're, in my opinion, you're a world class coach. You're, you know, you're among some of the best out there, and um, people they're very lucky in that area. Is it Oregon that you your academy is based in? Oregon. Yes, sir. Yeah, so Oregon is uh, yeah, Oregon is our, our flagship academy. We have a, a second academy now in Walla Walla, Washington, or College Place. It's in uh, Southeast Washington. Okay. So, yeah, we have. But yes, Oregon is our, our flagship academy. That's fantastic. So if you're in the Washington area, Oregon area, you need to check out Dennis Ash's academy because this guy, he's nothing but quality, absolutely quality. Um, so yeah, Dennis. Just moving on uh, from that. What I want the listener, I want the listeners to get an idea of what inspired you, you know, as a child uh, to get into martial arts. Was there certain movies? Was there certain cartoons or manga? Or was it just the, the kind of rough area you kind of grew up in or conditions you grew up in or whatever? What inspired Dennis Ash? What were the events that led to Dennis Ash becoming the martial artist that he is today? You know? I would, the, the two biggest uh, factors, were, I've always been very active, I was very hard-headed when I was a little kid, uh, very active and wanted to learn martial arts, but two of the, uh, two film or, or television things that inspired me the most was number one, Bruce Lee, and number two, the, the Kung Fu series, and and uh, wow. as well as uh, Kung Fu Theater. I loved Kung Fu Theater when I was a kid. Those, those things, those, I, guess, I guess that's three things, but those three things inspired me the most. And, and uh, once I got into it, it, seven years old, I had to wait because there was no one that would take at the time where I was at. They wouldn't take young, young kids, so I had to wait until I was a little bit older. But when I was seven, once I, once I started, I knew I loved martial arts, and that's definitely what I wanted to do. So... Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I remember you. I remember you. Um, like when we used to be training in Brazil. Obviously, sometimes when you take your gi jacket off, I'd notice that you had uh, like a Jeet Kune Do Wing Chun tattoos like on your. I just thought that was so awesome because. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had uh, Bruce Lee straight blast. Yeah, yeah, that on my chest. As I had actually had uh, a couple of guys from Progressive Fighting Systems come up to me when I was competing in Los Angeles. I had won one of the championships there. And they came up and said, wow, we're so glad to see somebody from, from PFS doing well and, and competing in, in jiu-jitsu, you know? And I said, oh, thanks, of course. But uh, it, yeah, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for Bruce Lee and what he did for martial arts in his era. And, you know, it still inspires people today, myself included. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. So, Dennis, obviously you've been involved with martial arts for such a long time. You've been involved since the 90s. 
I just I want because there's a lot of new people. Um, obviously, we've got new fans from mixed martial arts and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu daily. The sports exploded globally, uh, and it's it's changed a lot. I just want to get uh, I just want to get your take on the changes that you've seen in mixed martial arts and martial arts as a whole uh, throughout your years. How much has it changed from, let's say, obviously the '90s or early 2000s up to today, 2020? It went from a, like a, a, the dark ages of, of uh, being banned and not being allowed in, in TV. When I, when I competed in, in MMA, uh, it was you couldn't fight if you weren't fighting on an Indian reservation where the, the police had no jurisdiction because it was outlawed. It was, it was against a lot of do. So it was... Uh, that's, that's like the king of the cage? That's like the king of the cage events. As well, they're they're an yeah. Indian casino uh, reservations, yeah. weren't they? Exactly. It's, with, with a few exceptions, myself included, I put on a, a seven fights here in my own hometown, and uh, it just managed to kind of jump through some loopholes to, to make it happen, just because people didn't know what it was. Okay. But uh, <laughs> in uh, uh, all in all, it, it went from something that was completely uh, unknown to the general population to uh, a mainstream sport. And when back then, when you did it, you did it because you loved it. You loved to fight. And, uh, you didn't, you know, I mean, if you got some money for it, great. Which you know, the pay wasn't very good back then for anybody. There was such a small percentage of people that made any kind of a living out of it to uh, what it is today. And thanks to some of the the big name people that have made it what it is today by by lifting the sport into the mainstream you know it's it's something now I, and it's again it's not it's one of those things that i don't i don't want to say I, I like to encourage and tell people that it is an awesome thing which it is but it's not an easy road for anybody that wants to compete full-time or be a professional fighter that's not an easy thing to do you have to definitely love it in your heart and uh commit yourself 100 percent to doing it but it is something now that you could uh, if you committed yourself to it at a young age and, and did it, it's something you could actually make a good living at and uh, come out ahead, you know. Absolutely agree with you. There's a there's a there's a clear uh, career path now. Whereas obviously in the days when you were competing, um, it was extremely difficult to just find fights. Can you talk a little bit, Dennis, about your career uh, competing in mixed martial arts and how difficult, how many struggles you came across? Uh, because obviously there would have been a lot of difficulties back in those days. Um, you know, just finding events for fights and you know just the simple things that we take for granted today back then it would have been near impossible you know it was tough it was definitely tough and uh, we didn't have anywhere near the the i didn't have anywhere near the idea of of uh understanding of uh training and and uh like you said finding fights is a very difficult thing my career as a professional martial mixed martial artist was was short-lived but uh it was you know it was something that, that i do hold dear because it was fun it was it was something that uh, and i say fun because i enjoyed it i liked you know i like to go out there and get punched in the face and punch somebody else and you know oh you're a finisher my all. you're a finisher Any, anybody that i've shown anybody <laughs> anybody that i've shown your highlights to they always just they turn around and say to me man this guy's a finisher <laughs> so yeah, you, you had a very exciting style 
thank you. That's uh, probably the biggest struggles back then, though, is just being able to survive because you, it's, you know, if you're making hardly any money off of the fights that you're fighting, then, you know, how do you support yourself? And that was something that, it, again, took another level of commitment. And that's even the same thing when I, like I had said, when I moved down to uh, Southern California to live and train down there, even though I got focused on my jujitsu and the gi, it was the same thing. I lived in a storefront. That you know somebody sponsored me a place, and I slept on my mats in there. Eventually, that's what well, that was it. You know, you just had to really dedicate yourself to it and uh, commit yourself 100%, and not look around and not not have any uh, attachment to material things because it, it just wasn't an option yeah. to to make a good living and do that at the same time. And that's that's how it was when I was fighting. Absolutely. Um, something just sprung to my mind, Dennis. Uh, I remember when I was in Connection Rio in 2012, I believe. I don't know if you remember. I hope you do. But you told me a little story about one of your MMA bouts where you were competing and you met a young Mr. Nick Diaz at an event. And you're telling me about he, how he was being, he was talking about how he's being really brash and he was saying he can do this, he can do this really easily and he's going to have a career. I don't know if you can remember telling us this, but oh, yeah. you do. Oh, I right. remember because he was too young and we were all getting paid. It was after a fight, we were getting paid and we had to go into a bar to get paid because that's where the, the promoter was paying us at. And he couldn't come through the door because he was too young to get into the bar. But uh, yeah, I had a ton of respect. I still do for him. He was, uh, he was just very... Uh, outgoing and, and wanted to fight and wanted to do that and he says yeah, I'd like to do that and I said absolutely you could do that for sure anybody can do it you know it's just a matter of wanting to do that and putting forth the effort and uh, I was lucky enough to run into him again in 2005 at a jiu-jitsu championship and he still remembered me and asked where I had been and uh, it's really cool down to earth and, and uh, like I said I have a ton of respect for him he's put on a lot of great fights you know gives it his all really puts all of his heart into it and he's a skilled fighter as well yeah, he's an absolute yeah, legend. I remember that story. Yeah, we're, we're huge fans of Nick Diaz uh, and Nate Diaz. The Diaz bros, they're very close to in our hearts. We followed their whole career, and you're absolutely right. They've got, they just pour their hearts out, don't they? They just put everything on the line, those yeah, boys. Absolutely. And that's such a yeah, golden absolutely. story, Dennis. Honestly, because they're the this, the level and the size of Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz's. Uh, kind of stock now in mixed martial arts, even though they don't compete that often, but they're they're literally known as legends amongst amongst the fans, which you'll know yourself. So it's such a cool story hearing that where you met him when he was only 15 years old, before he even started fighting. Well, he's older he was older than 15, but oh. his, uh, he, he couldn't get through the door though. I just remember that. All right, <laughs> it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. So Dennis, do. You, I just want to know a little bit more about your academy right now. Do you have many MMA athletes? Do you have more jiu-jitsu practitioners in there? What kind of, what are your competitors more focused on? Our competitors are focused on Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We have some MMA competitors, uh, but my focus right now is really coaching and, and teaching MMA. Uh, my focus is teaching with the gi. And it's there's a ton of applications for that. We do have... Uh, uh, military law enforcement that we teach as well and it's really sometimes it's really good to hear some of the stories that they come back with and uh, being able to protect themselves in situations that are life or death with what they've learned at the academy and it makes, again it's one of those things that it, it means something to me mm -hmm. and I take it very seriously I, you know if I'm going to teach somebody something that uh, that may save their life I put 100% of myself into it and I want to make sure that they know it uh, 
and are able to apply it in any situation. So we do have like all of our students and some of the things that I've done and this is this is something that as I've gone through jujitsu um, in other traditional martial arts, I've, I've had to go through my own tests and uh, in uh, MMA, I've had you know fights and uh, Thai boxing fights and, and uh, Western boxing. But uh, like I said before, I don't expect all my students to be competitors. So uh, we test them in-house when they move up ranks. So that way, if you know, it, it shows to me they have the capability of being able to defend themselves if they need to, and uh, they have the experience similar to mine that uh, they've they've uh, dealt with punches and they've dealt with uh, taking somebody down uh, when it comes to the self-defense part, uh, and they've gone through some really tough sparring and, and they've been able to show their technique. Uh, in front of people in a situation where they're under a lot of pressure. And uh, back to our competitors, though, like right now, our, our main focus, I said, is the academy as a whole, and uh, not only our competitors, but the people that are competing uh, are competing primarily in the kimono. So that's our focus right now. That's fantastic. It sounds like you've got an excellent setup there, and you've got a real great way of, you know, Push, uh, pushing people through the levels and not pushing them too fast which is it's a bit it's a bit of a problem in a lot of academies you know where they, they push people too fast into competition and fighting MMA it sounds like you've got the perfect balance where you know you're it's it's you're really only offering that to whoever really wants to do it you're not making it a necessity which I feel a lot of academies you know they make it kind of a necessity which it can put a lot of people off you know um, but yeah Dennis it's been it's been fantastic chatting to you the times actually flew in really quickly because we're, I'm enjoying this chat so much but we're towards the end of the podcast now and I would like yes, to sir. I would like to finish off with uh, one more question uh, it's just this is really for anybody that's out there uh, all over the world you know who could be having some problems mental or physical uh, and they, they could be going through some some ups and downs uh, and they, they, what would your advice be to anybody right now that could be going through some hard times and they might be interested in getting into martial arts but they're not sure what would your advice be to these people you need to get past that first fear that initial fear of being able to step into that academy the first time let it go put your ego aside and step through that door and get into training and that's there's no if ands or buts about it you need to just do it and it will make a difference in your life. It'll change your life. And uh, if you find the right professor, instructor, coach, it will put you in a place that uh, can change your life and, and in a positive direction that will make all the difference. That's uh, I. It's from experience myself. I had you know I I've been fortunate enough to be trained by some of the people that really put me in the on the right path in life, and uh, it, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I totally agree with you. Martial arts can it can change people for the positive, for the better, and it can really change people for the rest of their lives, you know, and put people in the right direction where they should be. Um, you know, it's a beautiful thing, martial arts, and we're all so lucky to have it in our lives. Um, so yeah, Dennis, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting to you. It's been such a pleasure getting you on to the podcast, um, and we really hope to get you on again. Um, in the next few weeks for a video podcast as well uh, which will be fantastic uh, but it's been absolutely it's been a pleasure chatting to you Dennis 
and uh, I, I really look forward to traveling over to America and uh, uh, training at your academy, which I've been planning on doing uh, for the last couple of years, actually. But uh, just because of financial situations and different uh, different issues, I've been unable to go. Uh, but I'm still that plan is uh, in the back of my head, and I'm I'm looking. Actually, after this coronavirus situation kind of clears, I'll be looking to head over to the states, and I'll definitely be popping nice. in. If you if you'll have me, I'll definitely be coming of over. Of course, it would be my pleasure to have you here. Yeah, it, it will give you an opportunity to see the academy, see the things that have developed in my teachings, and you can get to train with our students firsthand, myself as well. And it'd be a pleasure to have you over. Yeah, it's the it's, doors are always open to you. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thank you so much, and we'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you. Yes, Thanks sir. again, Dennis. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. Bye. That was a good...